You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, if you would. Continue our series entitled Selfless Serving Church. If you miss any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up on our website at whoecala.org. Uh, subscribe to our podcast. Stay caught up that way. Uh, we're coming down to the end of it. Uh, we're wrapping up uh, chapter number 11 uh, here tonight. That leaves us only uh, chapters 12 and 13, and we are done with 2 Corinthians. And so uh, if you're wondering what we're going to do next, next we're going to do 3 Corinthians. And so... Uh, just checking to see if you're awake tonight. There is no Third Corinthians. And so uh, after we finish Second Corinthians, we'll move on to another book on Sunday nights. But uh, it's been uh, exciting to go through this. If you miss any, any of these, you can always get caught up on our website. I think this is message uh, 40-something, 43, 44, something like that in the series. Uh, so Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 11, we're going to start in verse number uh, 16 here tonight and go through the end of the chapter. Uh, so it's a long uh, passage, but, but hang in there with me. I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. Paul says in verse 16, if you think I'm crazy, that's fine. Just let a crazy man talk for a minute. That's what he's saying. That which I speak, I speak not, uh, speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I'll glory also. In, in other words, Paul says, if you want to brag, I'll brag a little bit. For you suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take you, take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak, howbeit whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. And Paul goes on to give his list of, uh, uh, of accolades, I guess you could say here, beginning in verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. The night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeyings oft, and in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen. In perils my, by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities." The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor Arturaeus, the king, kept the city of Damascusines with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window and a, ba and a basket, I was let down by the wall and escaped his hands. 
Paul, again, is answering the charges that are being leveled in by false teachers. People made up a lot of stories about Paul that simply weren't true, simply weren't the case. And he says, I want to defend myself. Uh, hey, if you think I'm crazy, then let a crazy man talk for a little while. Uh, you've heard how other people brag about how good they are. You've heard other people brag about uh, what great teachers they are. Hear me out for just a second. Uh, if anybody says that they're a Jew, hey, I'm, I'm a Jew too. Anybody says they're an Israelite, I'm an Israelite too. Hey, if anybody says there's a seed of Abraham, me too. But hey, look at what I've gone through as well. And he begins to uh, defend his own character. Uh, by way of introduction here this, this evening, it's important to understand that boasting and, comparison and comparing is foolish and carnal. But God's glory is always worth defending. Paul wasn't simply uh, defending his good name. He was defending God's good name. He wasn't just trying to make sure that the name of Paul went unspotted, but that the grace of God and the glory of God could always be lifted up in his life. Paul wasn't so much saying, hey, look at what I've done, as much as he was saying, look at what God has brought me through. I'm so excited in just a few weeks to celebrate five years uh, together with you guys here at Hui Kala Baptist Church. It's been an incredible ride. It really has. It's funny, though, sometimes people want to say things like, well, you know, they, they don't, they're only that big because of X, Y, or Z. They, they got a big building, or uh, somebody's paying their bills for them, or they, got, they were sent out of X, Y, Z church, and they were able to be helped that way. And a lot of times people want to make excuses for what God's done here. And I say at the end of the day, I have no desire to, to boast or to brag, only to say God gets 100% of the glory for everything that takes place here. Every person that's ever been saved, uh, every person that's ever been baptized, any person that's ever been discipled, uh, anybody who's ever turned from sin and turned back to Jesus, God gets the glory for that. You and I just got to be a part of it. Uh, we show up, God gets to do the work. But don't ever take anything away from the miracle that God has done here. Uh, the building that you're seated in tonight is a miracle story. I could tell you a, a story an hour and a half long of how God provided this building for us, how God met need after need, how God showed himself strong again and again and again, how God's people gave sacrificially and God stepped up and, and did his part and how at the end of the day, God gets glory for everything that happens here. Don't ever let anybody take that away from what God is doing. You and I can take no credit for it. You and I just got to be here a part of God's miracle. Paul says, I can't take credit for anything good that God's done in my life. Actually, I've messed up a whole lot, Paul would even tell you himself. But he said, God and what he's done, he gets the glory for this, and I'm not gonna allow some knuckle-headed false teachers to take that away from what God has done. You see, the mark of a true servant is not accomplishment, but faithfulness. Paul doesn't go on to list a big, long list of the things he's done. I know it looks like that on the surface as far as the things that Paul's accomplished. You look and you go, wow, Paul's really done a lot. If you read through this, Paul doesn't mention the number of times he's preached. Paul doesn't list the number of churches that he started. Uh, Paul doesn't uh, list the average attendance of all the church plants that he's been a part of. Paul doesn't mention anybody that he's ever led to Christ. Uh, Paul doesn't mention uh, anything that he was a part of. He just talks about all the bad things that he's gone through. He says, hey, I'm not gonna glory in my accomplishments because my accomplishments are very few. He says, I'm gonna glory in my weaknesses. And despite the fact that I am nothing and God is everything, God still uses nothings to accomplish something. You and I are nothing. In the span of the universe, you and I make up one out of seven and a half billion people. We are infinitesimally small, so incredibly small or greatly important to God. God wants to use my life and yours to accomplish his work, his will, his way. Despite how small we are, despite how weak we are, despite how little we bring to the table, God wants to use us, but he requires something from you, and that is faithfulness. 
you're taking notes tonight, write down to the side of that, don't quit ever. I'm telling you this, we've seen God's blessing in our family because we made a decision probably uh, 18 years or so ago to put God first in everything in our lives, whatever that looked like for us. And at the time, honestly, the time that we made that decision, it really just meant showing up to church faithfully. If there's a church service, we're gonna be there. That's what it meant to us. But fast forward 18 years later, we've seen God's blessings on our family and God's accomplished through our lives more than we could have ever even fathomed possible because not we're incredibly gifted, but because we've just been faithful. I guess you could say we've been too dumb to quit. Stubbornness, I think, is an attribute that Paul would say that he had. And then when it comes to being a servant of Jesus, stubbornness is probably a good attribute to have. Most of us, when we look at the list of things that Paul had gone through, we probably would have quit after maybe the first shipwreck. What do you think? Definitely after the second shipwreck, I know I would have quit. How many times was he beaten with rods? Three times. I probably would have quit after one shipwreck and one beaten with rods. I'd say, hey, I believe God's trying to tell me something here, and it's probably quit or take a break or dial it back a notch. Paul said, no. It's not about how accomplished he was. Now, mind you, Paul is accomplished. Uh, If anybody knows the word, Paul knows the word. If anybody uh, had reason to boast or to brag about the things he'd accomplished in his life, Paul had reason to, but he never took that route. Even when he was challenging uh, Timothy in in 1 and 2 Timothy, he never bragged about his accomplishments. He just says, hey, Timothy, you watched my life and you saw how I lived it. I want you to live the same. The things you've learned by watching my life, I want you to live those out in your life too. And so when it comes to you and I's accomplishments in life, sometimes it might feel like we haven't really accomplished much. I haven't really done a lot for the Lord. At the end of the day, the main measure of your life will not be in the accomplishments, accolades, numbers, or anything like that. It's gonna be faithfulness. And I know faithfulness isn't exciting because there's not a column on a spreadsheet for faithfulness, is there? Just not. How do you measure faithfulness? I mean, I can measure things. Uh, I used to love it when I was a kid. They had like the little star charts you had in your Sunday school classroom. You know, you get a star for attendance. You get a star if you brought your Bible. And you get a star if you remembered your memory verse. And you saw all your stars line up there. It's like, yeah, I love that, right? And you felt accomplished because you, you did what was expected. You checked off the box and you're good. Here's the problem when it comes to things like that. There's no tangible metric for faithfulness. And faithfulness isn't gonna show up in a couple of weeks. Truth be told, faithfulness probably isn't gonna show up in a couple of months. The true fruit of faithfulness will show up in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. That's the good stuff right there. Anybody can can, uh, do something really quickly for a very brief period of time. Hey, if we decided we're gonna go out and, and run a mile tonight, I could probably run a mile without dying, okay? You'll run two miles, I might be able to get two miles in, maybe even three, right? But ask me to run three miles a day for the rest of my life, and at some point I'm gonna fail. You know why? Because I'm not that committed to it. I really, at the end of the day, honestly, I just don't care about running that much. Not important to me. And so if I ran three miles tonight, or if I ran 30 miles tonight, but I never ran for the rest of my life, you wouldn't call me faithful, would you? But what about the guy who just gets out and just plugs in a mile every day, just one mile, every single day for the next 50 years. You'd call that dude faithful, right? A mile is not that great of an accomplishment when it comes to distance running, but a mile every day for the rest of your life, that's, that's an accomplishment. Hey, showing up 
being in your place, loving people like Jesus. Nobody's gonna give you a badge for that. But you know what you will see over months, years, and decades? You'll see God's blessings in your life in a way that you never imagined before. The true mark of your value, a true mark of a servant of Jesus is not on what they've accomplished, but how faithful they are. You look at Paul's um, resume here. It's a resume of a lot of failures and shortcomings. But he was faithful. Next, I see in this passage here that the idea of, that following Jesus removes suffering is not a biblical idea whatsoever. I cringe at so-called Christianity that says if you follow Jesus, all of your problems go away. And people follow after Christ because they think that they'll uh, get their mortgage paid off because Jesus is gonna provide a ridiculous amount of money so they can pay off their mortgage. That Jesus, just by matter of praying a prayer, Jesus is gonna automatically fix their marriage for them. That Jesus is gonna automatically give them a raise at work. That they're automatically gonna become the most popular person in their workplace and everybody loves them and sings their praises because they're a follower of Jesus now. Oftentimes, we even as Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, believe that if we decide to follow Jesus, everybody's gonna be happy for us, right? I can't tell you how many times I've had to help newer Christians who said, I went to share my faith with my parents and I thought they'd be super excited for me and they're not excited at all. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. I've seen it before. I thought my brother would be super excited about this new faith that I found and the new hope that I have in Jesus Christ, but I shared it with him and he told me that I was in a cult. Hmm, yep, heard that one before too. Man, I thought my friend, when I shared Jesus with her, would be really excited that I found something for me, but she told me that religion is for shallow people. And we began to scratch our head and go, wait a minute, I thought following Jesus made everything easier. Nobody ever said that, ever. Following Jesus, let me just tell you this, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna shoot you straight because I love you. Following Jesus will be the most difficult thing you will ever do for the rest of your life. And I will follow that up with this statement. Following Jesus will be the greatest thing you could ever possibly do with your life. Will it be difficult? Yes, but it will be the, by far the best thing you could ever possibly do with your life. I promise you that, I guarantee you. Because the things that are the easiest aren't always the things that are the best. Man, if I'm gonna make dinner, let's just say I'm tasked with making dinner for my family tonight, right? What is best for my family? I should probably grill some grilled chicken. I should probably steam some broccoli. I should probably make brown rice because supposedly it has more fiber in it. I should steam some carrots along with my broccoli too. And for dinner, we're gonna have a pineapple. How about that, right? I know that's what I should do. Do you know how long it would take to make a meal like that? Far longer than I have. So you know what I do? I grab my phone and I grab my Domino's app and there's a button that you hit to order the last thing that you ordered. And you just hit that and pizza shows up at the front door. You know why? Because it's easy. I hit a button and there's pizza on my front door in 20 minutes. I don't even have to wash dishes. It's awesome. Is that what's best for my family? My kids might say yes, but probably not. Is that a good use of my money? Definitely not. But it's easy, right? I can't feed my family pizza every night for the rest of my life. I can't do it. What's always easiest isn't always what's best. And following Jesus will not always be easy. 
It's tough when folks have heard bad Bible teaching that says following Jesus makes everything easy and then they, they're faced with their first trial and they don't know what to do. They're faced with some difficulty and they're not sure why everything's not working out the way that they thought it would. They hear a misapplication of scripture and they don't understand why God didn't heal a family member that they're praying for. Hey, following Jesus is hard. Things don't always work out the way that you want them to but they always work out for God's glory and for your good. That's a promise from his word. But it will be difficult. Paul found that out. And I often challenge folks, if following Jesus is really easy for you, you should step back and make sure that you're doing it the right way. Because Satan will oppose you. That's a promise from God's word. That if you follow hard after Christ, that Satan will oppose you at every turn that you come to. But if I'm not being opposed by Satan and all this seems really, really easy, I don't see what the big fuss is about following Jesus. It's so easy for me. I need to step back and make sure that I'm doing it the right way because I should face opposition. It will be difficult, but Jesus will be there to carry me each and every step along the way. Suffering is part of the Christian life. I know that's not a, a popular thing to say, but suffering is part of the Christian life. We will all suffer. But Jesus has promised to see us through that suffering. He's promised to be faithful. And Paul has proven Jesus faithful time and time and time again. So the idea that following Jesus removes any type of suffering or difficulty, trials in our life, just isn't a biblical idea. And when faced with difficulty and opposition, instead of looking for a way out, instead of looking for a way to bail on Jesus, you need to dig your roots in a little bit deeper. Instead of asking, God, what's the way out of this trial? Ask for the strength to endure the trial because that's what's gonna make you stronger. When you're going through the storm, I know the, the quickest thing that you wanna do is get out of the storm, but God wants to grow you in that storm. Don't be so quick to look for the exit. He's faithful. Next, we see God's faithful in his protection. Verse number 26 talks about all the dangers the word perils there means dangers that Paul uh, was on. Dangers in waters, robbers, his own countrymen, by the heathen, in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, among false brethren. Danger all around. But Paul was always protected. God's faithful in his protection of his children. Just like a good father, he's looking out for us, making sure that nothing's gonna harm us, making sure that everything is taken care of for us. And when we're faced with times of difficulties and trials and we don't know which end is up, just rest in the fact that your father knows exactly what's going on and he's working it for your good and for his glory. You can trust him. He'll protect you. It will not always be comfortable. I often say this. My kids hate to hear me say this, but I say it to my kids anyways. You will not always like the process, but you will love the product. The process of trials is, is awful. It's terrible. It's difficult. But the end result is a stronger faith in God, a stronger dependence on God, and spiritual strength that you can never find anywhere else. You know, I wish I could send you to Target tonight and tell you, hey, just pick up you know, a $50 pack of spiritual strength and just take that throughout the rest of the week and I think you'll be good. I wish you could go to the, the, the store and say, hey, here's my Home Depot bucket. Could you load this up with spiritual strength for me to carry around for the rest of my life? It doesn't work that way. You can't buy it in a store. You can't develop it overnight. 
Spiritual strength and faithfulness comes through trials and testings and difficulties that you and I wouldn't want otherwise. But that's God's plan. It's difficult, but he's promised to see us through it. Next, we must be willing to sacrifice to serve Jesus. Take a look at verse number 27, and weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness. And he says, on top of all that, that I deal with personally, verse number 28, he says, I have to worry about all the churches that I started too. Now, mind you, uh, verse uh, 28 is kind of pointed. Paul says, outside of all the things that I do on a daily basis and all the things I've had to personally deal with, I have to deal with basically taking care of all the churches that I started. (laughs) Mind you, he's writing to a church that he started that has caused him great grief. And so he says, on top of all that, I've got the mess that you guys have made of your life too. But Paul was willing to sacrifice because he knew that there was something greater than himself. Following Jesus the way that he requires you to is gonna require sacrifice on your part. Every single one of us will have to sacrifice. But the sacrifice that you and I make to follow Jesus is nothing compared to the sacrifice that was made for us by Jesus. Not even remotely close. One missionary said it this way, we ought not use the word sacrifice when we think of what Christ has done for us. We, we shouldn't think of what we have sacrificed to follow Jesus when we think of the sacrifice he's made on our behalf. God wants me to live for him, that's easy. He gave his son for me. Jesus died for me so that I could live for him. God's given me blessings upon blessings, not to be used for myself, but to be given up for his glory. But following Jesus will always cost you something. Salvation is a free gift provided by Jesus. But to follow after Jesus the way he intends us to, there's a price associated with that. I'll have to lay down my own hopes, dreams, goals, aspirations, my own pride, my own sinfulness to follow after Jesus. Well, there's a price to be paid, but it's always worth it. You and I more than likely will never suffer persecution. You and I more than likely will never actually be thrown in prison for our faith. We'll probably never be beaten for our faith. Uh, We'll probably never be shipwrecked out to sea with a group of people. We'll probably never be thrown in jail because of our faith. But what are some trials that you and I might face today as Christians? Somebody help me with that. A trial that we might face these days because of our faith. Brandon? Yep, there you go. You gave out a gospel tract and somebody laughed at it. We've gotten uh, two, two uh, tracts back. Somebody who dropped one off last week and had some stuff that was written on it that wasn't very nice uh, and they shoved the, the track in our mailbox and with some not nice words on it uh, telling us not to give them anymore. Uh, we got a phone call from somebody yesterday who told us we were trespassing. We shouldn't have got on their property to give them an invitation. Okay, great. Um, persecution? Eh, maybe. What else? Excluded, yeah. Uh, people will say, well, I don't wanna invite him. He's more of a churchy kind of guy. What else? Okay. People just don't like you, right? It's tough. 
I was talking with some folks today, and uh, we're talking about how in the workplace you have to be careful with your faith, and how you, you can be, a, you can say that you're a Christian, but you can't necessarily proselytize and uh, try to encourage other people in their faith and things like that. And it's a tightrope that you have to walk. And I said, do you think things would be different if if uh, we were Muslims instead of Christians? Because it seems like Muslims these days seem to have a little bit more rights and a little bit more freedom to do what they want and say what they want than Christians do. Uh, you know, you, you throw up a, uh, uh, a Christmas tree somewhere, people lose their mind. You put up a Star David, everybody's kind of okay with that. You know, you put up the Muslim crescent, and most people don't get bent out of shape about that, but a cross, man, that's tough. So maybe people wouldn't like us. Maybe we'd be excluded. Uh, maybe people would uh, laugh at us or make fun of us. What else? People would watch you a little bit closer, a little bit more scrutiny, right? What else? Megan? Yeah. Yeah, you call yourself a Christian. Hmm, that's, that's different, okay, good for you. I'm glad you found something that works for you. It's a little bit weird, but okay. Anybody else? We're racking our brains here to try to find ways that we're really persecuted as Christians, and we're not coming up with a lot. Have you noticed that? People laugh at me. They might call me, I'm, call me weird. I might be excluded. People not, might not want to be my friends. Take a look again at verse 25, if you would. Thrice was I beaten with rod. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, verse number 23. Uh, in uh, labor's more abundant, in stripes, that's, that's uh, whippings above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Uh, Paul says, I got whipped 39 times on, four, on five separate occasions. According to the Levitical law, you could only uh, whip uh, a Jewish person 40 times. And so in the off, uh, off event that someone would miscount, they only allowed 39 stripes to be uh, given out. And so Paul says, I got 39 stripes, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five times I got 39 stripes. Verse 25, thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned, thrice suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I spent in the deep, in other words, out in the middle of the sea, in the ocean, in journeys often, in perils, and waters, and robbers, and own countrymen, and heathen, in perils in the city, in the wilderness, and in the sea, and among false brethren, weariness, painfulness, and watchings often, hunger, thirst, fastings often, cold and nakedness. And what are we complaining about it again? Somebody unfriended me on Facebook because I posted too many Bible verses. Come on. Come on. We might suffer for our faith, but we don't suffer like this. We might go through difficult times because of our faith, but nothing like this. When we look at the persecution that takes place around the world, uh, there's a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. Some of you should look that up online. It talks about people who today are being persecuted, like thrown in prison and put to death for their faith today. Um, usually in our church bookstore, we don't have any right now, we have the book Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, if you've never read through that, you should. It talks about people who've given their life for their faith. It starts with Christ and the apostles and it goes all the way up through uh, history, through the 1900s, uh, talking about people who have died for their faith. Uh, I would recommend that you, you buy that book and read, read a few chapters as part of your daily Bible reading. These are people who legit give their life for their faith you and I probably will never be asked to give our lives for our faith, but we are asked to live for our faith. That's something we can all do. Final thought here tonight in this passage. In our life story, God is always the hero. Particularly verse number 30, Paul says here, if I must needs glory, in other words, if I need to boast a glory in, of the things which concern mine infirmities. 
Paul says, I'm going to brag about anything. It's about how short I come of how good God is. And really the hero of this story is not Paul. He's saying, me, if I get something to brag about, it's how much of a, a knucklehead I am. If I have something to brag about, it's how much of a failure I am. The glory that I have, all glory goes to God for all he's done. And at the end of the day, the hero of Paul's story and the hero of my story and your story is not us, it's always God. Somebody says, oh man, what a great family you have, man. God has been so good to us. He's blessed us immeasurably. Oh, what a great church family you guys have, man. God has been so good to us. We have some of the finest people here in this church that I've ever met in my entire life, and God's been good to us. Oh, Pastor, that's a great message today, man. Praise God for his word. God's word is always good, 100% of the time. You know who the hero is? It's always God. The hero is always Jesus. And the problem comes when you and I think that we need to be the hero. We need to be the one that's liked. We need to be the one that's adored or worshiped or held up or lifted up. Then we run into problems because that was never our place that we were intended to be. God's the hero of our story. He always will be. And if we understand that he is our object of our affection, he is the hero of our story, he is the one that we're seeking to please, honor, and glorify, we'll be okay. I read an outstanding quote uh, several years ago in a book by uh, Steve Farrar. It said, many times in life we find ourselves not understanding why God has permitted us to be in a hard place or in difficult circumstances. But if you wait a few years and read your life backwards, you can often see his good purposes. I don't know about you, but that hit me like a ton of bricks because every difficult time I've ever gone through in my entire life, at the time I was saying, why am I going through this? Why am I feeling this? God, I'm trying to serve you. Why on earth would you do this to me? And then five years down the road, 10 years down the road, I look back and I go, okay, that makes sense. It all comes together now. I remember I was a senior in high school, was planning on going to college, and uh, my family had gone through some uh, financial problems uh, my senior year of college, and they said, you know, we're not gonna be able to pay for your first year of college like we had intended to. I said, well, I'm not sticking around here anymore. And so the first thing I did is I joined the military to get out of town. I didn't like it at the time. It wasn't what I wanted to do. I never intended to, to join the military. People said, oh, you know, did you always wanna join the Navy? No. Did your family, uh, did you come from a military family? No. Uh, my grandfather was in World War II. And that's the only person in my family that ever served in the military. Uh, it was just the quickest way out of my hometown. It wasn't what I wanted to do. It's just the only thing that was available. And I took it. I jumped on it. I was upset. I was angry. I was bitter. I wasn't happy about it. But I got stationed in Pensacola, Florida, and I met the love of my life. We met there. We got married. We got uh, transferred to wherever we wanted to go, uh, wherever we could go at the time. And the only thing that was available was Hawaii. I didn't want to go to Hawaii. I had no desire to ever be here. Uh, and when we got here, I couldn't wait to get out of here. But God brought us here, and we stuck it out here. We got out and stayed for a little while. Went to California and lived in the middle of the desert for 10 years. It was awful. It was hot. I got nosebleeds. It was terrible. And then God brought us back here. And someday I just stopped and I looked back at my life, and I said, had my parents not had financial difficulties my senior year in high school, would have never joined the Navy. Had I never joined the Navy, I would have never met a wife. Had I never been in the military, I would have never gotten to Hawaii. Had I never gotten to Hawaii, God wouldn't have been able to change my life through his word and his church and, and people that God put in my life that steered me the right direction. And we wouldn't be sitting here tonight. That difficult trial that a 17-year-old boy just couldn't figure out why it was happening to him was so that all of us could be here tonight hearing from God's word. And it's tough to be able to trace life back like that in the moment, but we have to believe that God knows exactly what he's doing. He's always good and he's always sovereign. And if we can trust in that, everything else works itself out. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. The problem comes when we take matters into our own hands. We try to figure it out on our own, and we try to bypass what God's doing in our life. God says, no, 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 no. It might not be pleasant right now, but I've got a big plan coming down the road that you can't see right now. Just hang in there. I'm faithful, and I promise you that I'm enough. So most of us, probably not gonna see the level of persecution that Paul did. But every one of us will go through trials and difficulties. And when we face them, we can face them with great faith, knowing that God is always in charge, that he's always sovereign, that he's always good, and he will bring forth something that you and I cannot see right now. But hopefully, one day down the road, it might be one day when we're in heaven, we can look back and see why God did what he did and how he did it for his glory. Until then, we just get to plug away day by day, be faithful, trust him, and follow him like never before. I'm not a really really incredibly talented guy. I don't have a lot of things. Uh, For example, if I wasn't pastoring, I can't think of a whole lot of other things that I I would want to do in my life or that I probably would be well-suited to do. I'm not incredibly talented, but you know what I learned a long time ago that I can be? I can be faithful. Hey, I'm not the best public speaker in the world. I might not be the most engaging speaker in the world, but you know what I can do? I can study God's word every single week faithfully and share with you what the Bible says and how to change your life faithfully. Hey, I don't always have the, the, the most witty things to say. I'm not the best conversationalist, but you know what I can do? I can sit down and listen to your problems and pray with you and be faithful with that. See, God doesn't ask us to do big things. God asks us to be faithful in small things. Paul, I don't think, ever set out to do big things. God just said, do this. And he took it one step at a time, one day at a time. And then he looked back one day and saw all that God had done through his life. I think you and I will be the same if we can be faithful. So regardless of what you're going through tonight, I wanna challenge you with this. Be faithful. Trust in the Lord like never before. He promises to bring you through it. He's been faithful so far, and you can trust him in the future.